already, uh, Steve Tyre and I were speaking this week, and he asked that I would pray uh, or be in prayer with him over an issue with a friend of his. And he called me Thursday and said, God is good. The, the couple we were praying for, a uh, friend of his, they don't even live here in town, but he, he cares about them, uh, are now seeking Christian counseling and to heal and restore their marriage. So uh, we can move that over to that side. Amen. Yes. I like to parallel scriptures. I like to look at the Old Testament and the New Testament. I like to combine the two. I like to see how one complements the other. I like to see how one is sometimes masked and then revealed in the other. And then I see how sometimes one is revealed and then glorified in the other. And I love it when Jesus is in both and when Jesus encounters people and they come to these points of decision. Because I find myself in a constant day-to-day struggle battle with being in a point of decision. Because I am one of these privileged people. You see, I was born in 1971. I saw a time, uh, some of you youngers may not know this, but telephones used to be connected to the wall. So I had a rough growing up. <laughs> Them good old days weren't always good. It was tough growing up with telephone connected to the wall now. Y'all don't know anything about slow-speed Internet. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, man, Whew, it was rough growing up back then. But I've been privileged to grow up in a time that I've grown up. I grew up in America where we have, where every day is a feast for us, basically. Every day is a holiday, and every meal is an absolute feast. It is. We throw away more than what most families eat. Every meal. That's a fact. Every meal. I have a wife and children. God honored that prayer when I was a little boy sitting in church. Didn't have a daddy growing up. I know that story. I sat there in the back of St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Church in Ruston, Louisiana. We sat third row from the back. If you come in, you're going to walk to the left, and we sit right there so we can get out quick when we need to. And that's where we sat. And I remember during communion watching these families get up and these daddies lead their family. Lord, I'd like to be a daddy one day. I'm one of these privileged guys, you know. It's easy for me to get to a point of comfort and to hide in the shadows of comfort. It's easy for me to say, oh, Lord, bless me, and receive the blessings and receive the anointing and receive all the gifts that God has given us, right? Each one of us can say the same. And then to get into the point of the shadows and all of a sudden come to a point of decision. And that's what I want to talk about today. Turn with me in the scriptures to the book of Numbers, chapter 13. Father God, I just pray that you would touch our hearts like never before. Dear Lord, that we would leave here today <laughs> willing to walk away from it all. Mm. Oh, Lord. search our hearts. There are no words. Just search our hearts. Prepare them for you, Jesus. Amen. So we know the story here in Numbers up to this point. 
promised land has been promised to them, right? The land of Canaan, very familiar scriptures. We're going to go through this, and I'm going to make a point, and we're going to fast forward over to the Gospel of Luke, I mean, uh, of Mark. Chapter 13, verse 26. The spies had been sent out into the land, right? The spies that from the, representing the 12 tribes, they've gone out, and they've gone to spy the land to see what Moses says. Go see what it looks like. Are the people big? Are they, are, are they warrior people? What do their houses look like? What kind of land do they have? When we take this land, do we have to start farming from the, from the beginning? Or do they already have farmland that we can just take? What kind of fruits do they have? Moses says, bring back some of the fruits that you can so we can see what, what they have. Because God has promised it to us. You see, Israel, we have been chosen. We have been anointed. We have been blessed. We have been given a promise. And all we got to do is go take it. Before we just march out there and go, hold on, Caleb, hold on, hold back, son. Before we go, we need to go spy it out and see what it looks like so we know how to prepare, so we know what to do, so we can see God's promises in the manifestation, not just the promise in the word or in our heart and in our mind. Go 12 spies, go look at it. And they went, and they looked, and they come back, and this is their report. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the, and the whole Israel community, Israelite community, in Kardash, in the desert of Paran, and they reported to them, to the whole assembly, and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does indeed flow with milk and honey. There it, and there is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, and they're very large. And we even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalites, Amalites, excuse me, live in, in the Giv, and the Hittites and the Jezreelites and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should get up, go right now, and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Don't you love that? Then paralysis by analysis. But the men who had gone up with him said, We cannot attack these people, for they are stronger than we are. They spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are giants. And we saw, let's just stop right there. Because he goes on to say, We're like grasshoppers to them. They're giants, and we're grasshoppers. They're giants, and we're grasshoppers. God has promised it to us. Let's go. Let's take this land. Let's build this community. Let's build this, this kingdom. Let's reach all of Alexandria and central Louisiana for Jesus Christ. Let's touch every person in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's go to every foreign country we can that God allows us to do in our lifetime for the name and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Oh, but there's a giant. So you know what? How about we just simply hide in the shadows of our comfort and our current blessings, and we miss what is promised before us. You see, when these spies were going, something happened to them. As they were peering through the tall grass, and all of the promises that the Lord has given them from the past, 
all of the deliverance that had happened, all the miracles that they had seen had happened, and they're peering through the tall grass, and they're looking around the trees, and they're looking into the promised land. Something happened in their heart. They saw the giant, and they said, we are no longer going to hide in the shadows. We're going to hide behind the shadows. We're not going to be peering through the tall grass. We're going to get settled in this tall grass. And they stopped exploring. We simply had a simple job to do. Let's grab some fruit, get our fruit, and go back and tell them what we saw. They gave up on the promise before the promise was fulfilled. How much you love the promise is how much you believe in the promise. How much you want the promise is how much you believe in the promise. Do you want to be with Christ? Do you believe in Christ? Or do you just want your problems to go away? Do you want the fellowship with the risen King to have Him dwell in your heart and guide your every thought and hold captive the thoughts that aren't holy? Or do you just want to go, hmm, you know what? It's not so bad where we got it, Moses. <laughs> Actually, better we've died in the desert than to face these giants. There's not a giant out there that can't be taken down with a little bitty rock. We don't need to settle for good when God has something good or for us. You know, he's always got the gooder, right? We settle for the good, the promised land of a job. We settle for the promised land of a family. We settle for the promised land of a good church we can attend. We settle for the promised land of health. We settle for the promised land of a restored relationship. We settle for the promised land of a material possession. When actually God says, I give you these things so that you can glorify me with them. And if you are willing to lay it out and give it away and to give it back to me in a way that I can be glorified, I'll continue giving you more. But there's something happened when we are peering through the shadows of promise. We say, you know, I think I kind of like this current situation. And I refuse to give it up. You know, just yesterday, it was a rainy, stormy day. And uh, so what do you do in rainy days? You clean house, right? Well, we've had this big Tupperware thing full of pitchers. My wife is the most responsible person I know. She's the most responsible person my family knows. So they give her all the pitchers, right? We've got pitchers from Meemaw and Pawpaw from her side of the family, my side of the family, and we're going through all these pitchers. And she said, you know what? We don't need all these pitchers. I don't even know these people. So let's, let's get all these pitchers together and let's mail them to who they belong to. Okay, baby, we'll do that. You can do that. I'm going to go outside. So as she's putting those together, I go in occasionally, and, and, and she sets aside the pictures of me with all my hair for the kids to laugh at. And as we're looking in those pictures, what I see is a reflection of this message. I see Matt at different phases of his life, at different promises that I've settled for. Oh, Lord, I remember my, my sweet grandfather, Raymond, Audie Raymond. Audie never got to graduate high school. He was in the generation of World War II. World War II came, and, and he was a farm boy from Arkansas, so he did what he had to do, and he left, well, before World War II, he left the farm, or he left the high school, the school, the farm, and then when the war came, he had to leave the farm to go serve in the war. And all he ever wanted to do was graduate high school. It was a big deal 
And I know that I know that he prayed that his grandchildren would graduate. And see, my dad didn't get to graduate. We're the only son. My dad didn't graduate. But it was a real big deal when we graduated high school. And I look at those pictures of me, and I look just like my little boy Mason. And I look at a picture of me and Papa. And then I look at another picture of me in my high school gown. Yes, the hair is flowing. The high school gown. And guess who's right there next to me? My proud Papa. And I look back at that, and I said, man, I could have been so much better. I wasn't saved at that time. I wasn't living for God. Oh, I settled in the moment. I enjoyed that moment. But when the, when the reality of the giant passed my way, I stopped being set on sickle and started hiding back in the shadow. And then first opportunity I came to sin and to fit in with a popular crowd, I did it. And I never reached my potential as a young man graduating high school. And I look back at some of that, and I look at the pictures of my wedding with, with my sweet wife, Melissa. And I look at those wonderful day, that October day. I never forget beautiful weather, beautiful day, beautiful bride. All the family and friends are there. And I look back at that, and I say, you know, I settled for something that I could have had so much more. I could have been a godly man at that time in my life. I could have made a decision that day, not just to say, yeah, I do, but to say, I will serve the Lord with this woman. I will raise a godly family. I will not waste another day. And I wasted time. I wasted time. And I look at that, and it was a wonderful day. But there were so many wasted days after that. If I could go back and invest in that time again, oh, the deposit I would put in there. Of reading the scriptures. Seeking the Lord. And I go on, and I, and I look at bringing home that first baby. I remember my aunt told me, Stop and slow down when you leave to go to the hospital. And your wife says it's time, and I know you're going to be in a rush, but stop and look back over your shoulder because when you look back, the house will never be the same. And I remember that. I forgot that. I was like, okay, Aunt Joan, whatever, you know. And then we're going to the hospital, and I remember that. I stop, I put my car in park, and I look back over my shoulder, and there's our little first blue house. Lafayette. I said, all right. When we brought that little baby home, it was never the same. It began to be tore up from there on. No. It was never the same. And when I look back at, oh, what I could have done, oh, the time I could have spent with them too. Oh, if I'd have walked with them more and talked with them more in the Lord. If I could have spent more time developing my character in Christ and not wait so much later in life. And you see where I'm going with this? The good seems good, but there's so much gooder out there for us. So much gooder. Now, I know my English isn't correct. M more gooder. More gooder. So how do I make this point? How do I set the analogy? You guys may have heard of a gentleman named... Michelangelo, Michelangelo, I like to say it because I can't pronounce Italian. Michelangelo, he created a sculpture called the Pieta, a series of sculptures. It's the, one, it's the last sculpture he ever signed because when he signed it, he did it out of, out of pride. He signed it because when it was up and it was presented and people came to look at it, somebody said, oh, surely Michelangelo didn't do this. 
And he said, I'll show you I did it. And he at that moment quickly got his hammer and his chisel, and he wrote his signature on the hem of the Virgin Mary's garment. And then afterwards, he said, I should have never done that. And he never signed another one of his pieces of art after that. He did it on his own. <laughs> but Michelangelo did this piece of work called the Pieta. And we're going to show just kind of some pictures of it. And um, what's interesting about this is the artist hand selects the granite. The artist travels to the special place that only this granite is, is found anywhere in the earth. It's the whitest, it's the purest that there is. And the way they get it is they look for a natural crack. And the artist himself comes down, takes a hammer and nail, and smashes into the crack and begins to create a crack. And they continue doing this process. And they continue doing this process. And this ginormous, several-ton large piece of granite comes crashing to the ground. In a very dangerous task, they pull it down the mountain slide. Michelangelo almost lost his life seven times in getting these pieces of granite to the harbor and then had to be taken to uh, the boat. And then it was an incredible journey, and that's a whole other story, of how it got where he began to work on it. So he had this huge slab of pure, flawless marble, and he created this. Has anyone ever seen that before? The detail is so amazing that to this day, when people go to it, they weep. Because when, when you look at it, there is not a flaw in it. You see the nail hole in his hand? The detail is so incredible that they say you can see the bones and the veins from the nail-pierced hands and then through his feet. His face, Jesus' face, is not uh, scarred or marred because Michelangelo says, when they look at the face of Jesus, I want to see this as a gift, not as a beaten, defeated Lord, but as a risen Savior. And this is a gift. His dead body is a gift that my God is alive, and I will not show him beaten and destroyed in his face. So that's why his face does not have a mark on it. You see how it shines? It's all one piece, incredibly elaborate, has never been able to be duplicated, not even by computer images. Nothing has been able to replicate this exactly. It is so shiny that you can see yourself in it. And that's the point. How did the artist know that it was complete? He says, when I polished it enough that I could see my reflection everywhere I looked. They asked Michelangelo, how did you do this? His rival critic, a critic that never liked him, Michelangelo was a little eccentric, and this guy didn't like him at all. He, didn't, he believed half the stuff he did was a phony. He didn't respect him as an artist because he felt he never committed, he never saw things through, and all these things. He had all these harsh criticisms. When that critic looked at the Pieta, he wept and wept and said, Michel, how did you do this? Michelangelo, how did you do this? This is impossible. How in the world did you do this? Michelangelo very simply said, it was easy. The image was already in the stone. All I had to do was chip away this piece. we got to let ourselves be yielded by the master. Chip away all the stones. There is a masterpiece in each and every one of us that is created uniquely and different 
that nobody else can duplicate, that nobody else can make for you. Only the Master can chip away at the exterior of our lives. And we simply have to be there and allow it to happen. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 17. This is a scripture that haunts me <laughs> regularly. Chapter 10, verse 17, the Gospel of Mark. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran to him, ran up to him. He fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud or honor, dishonor your father or your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? It's easy for us to live in the comfort of our self-righteousness. You see, if you can keep something from a boy, it really ain't that hard, guys. It's when you become a man that, it, that you have man-sized issues to deal with. It's when you're no longer a small little girl and you are a woman that you have woman-sized issues that you have to confront. They say the thing about children is when they're young, they step on your toes. When they're older, they step on your what? On your heart. It's the same with us as, ch as children of God. When we're little, we may step on Lord's toes and it's sweet and cute. When we're older... We can do things that can grieve the Holy Spirit. Allow him to chip away at that rough exterior of our lives. If you look at a sculptor when he sculpts something, he uses only three tools. A hammer, a chisel, and a polishing brush. Which one do you think takes the longest? The polishing brush. He labors over every inch of your life. Polishing it until he sees his reflection. Underneath the hem of the garment of Mary, in between the toes of Jesus, the backside of the sculpture where no one can see, if you look at it, you get underneath there, you see your reflection crystal clear. The artist left no place This man had a place that he refused to let Jesus in. He's the only one in Scripture that we find that went away sad. Many went away mad. <laughs> Many went away wanting to kill him. Many went away healed. Many went away restored. Many went away with a brand new life. And he went away sad. He 
so he refused to yield this one part of his life to the hammer and the chisel and the polishing brush of the master. And he left before it got good. He left before it got good. You know, over in John, the, the disciples were hearing Jesus teach them, and they said, oh, these are hard teachings. So they, they left. These are hard. Many of them left. These were hard teachings. And, and this young man left before it got even gooder. He says, at this the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his, at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Then the disciples were even more amazed, and they said to one another, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. It just got gooder right then. When Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, comes down, stands before you, and issues you a challenge in your heart, perhaps this morning at this altar, or in your car when you're driving home, Maybe it was last night. Maybe it was something you had to fight through this morning to get here. When the Lord of God enters you and tells you a challenge that you must do, uh, an opportunity for you to meet, and you say, no, this teaching is too hard. It's too much pride. Uh, it's too much for me to humble myself. I don't want to admit this. I don't want to apologize for this. I don't want to. I can't. It's not. It's a giant. Whatever the excuse is, and you walk away Sad. I can promise you, as far as this young man, this rich young man goes, those fine clothes never felt good anymore. That sweet fruit never tasted good anymore. That sweet drink never satisfied anymore because he had an encounter and he walked away sad because he refused to do what was simply, reasonably asked of him. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away. And he went away sad. I pray that we never leave here sad. Never. I pray that we leave here restored. We live here fixed. We live here made afresh in a brand new way. We leave here with a new relationship, a renewed commitment, a new purpose. But we should never leave here sad. Never. Jesus goes on to say I mean that's good stuff guys with God anything is possible well, God well, what about this oh it's possible God our little church would like to go do this ministry it's possible but God my family needs restoration it's possible God I need more time with my family it's possible God I need to be forgiven from this sin oh it's done impossible but God, I need this, and but God, I need that, and God, I need this. And he says, I've given you the promised land. How much longer are you going to hide in the shadows? And you're going to be like Caleb. Caleb said, get it, let's go. He said, Caleb didn't even let him finish. He said, milk and honey, let's, that's all I needed to hear. And they said, no, there's a giant out there. But, but, but God. There is nothing impossible through the Lord.
I'll tell you the truth. No one who has, oh, and by the way, he didn't want to leave all of his good stuff. Jesus goes on to say, 29, I'll tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. It just got gritty. And that young man missed it. He missed the best part of the message, didn't he? First will be last, and the last will be first. If you've ever been last and not good enough, not picked enough, not smart enough, not pretty enough, not big enough, not small enough, not rich enough, not whatever enough, that's a company secret. That you will be asked to come sit at the head of the banquet table. You may look like you're last, and you may feel like you're inadequate, but I've got my hand on you, and you are special, you are adopted, you are anointed, you are chosen, you are, are here for a time such as this. There is something special and unique about you. You are my masterpiece that no one can take away. Nobody can change. No one can distort. I have my reflection in you. I have chipped away that exterior of your life. I have taken away the imperfections and flaws. And I will set you up in front for people to see my glory. Don't leave before it gets gooder, guys. Don't give up on the promise. Don't leave just because the teaching is hard. Don't leave just because it's not popular. Don't leave just because you don't like what the Word of God says. Don't give up because the Word of God says this. Don't give up because the Word of God says do that. Simply go through it. Claim the promised land. It is there for you. It is given to you. It is a promise from God who cannot lie. Don't give up on the promise. Don't give up on the promise. Don't look back in your life through a photo album and say, oh, I missed an opportunity. I missed an opportunity to serve the Lord. I saw a picture of a friend of mine that I knew in Jonesboro, Louisiana. I got my arm on his shoulder. He's dead today because of age. lived a sinful, rebellious life. No different than my sinful, rebellious life. That wasn't my sin, but I had sin. I'm no better than him. The problem is he refused to stay for the whole season. My dear friend is not with us anymore. And I never shared the gospel. Time happened, life happened, he went his way, knew the lifestyle he was living, didn't fit into my new world. I thought about it from time to time, but I ignored it. And I was coming back from Peru in the airport. I got a phone call from an acquaintance, a mutual acquaintance. And let me tell you, I was feeling self-righteous. I was feeling pretty good. After all, I'd been to Peru on a mission trip, right? You don't get no better than that. Jesus, this young man said, I've kept all these laws. I've done all these good things. I've been good, Lord Jesus. I didn't murder. I didn't steal. I didn't commit adultery. I've honored my mom and dad since I was a boy. 
oh, but I missed an opportunity. And I want you to know, when I got the news from that mutual friend that my friend had died, terrible death, suffering agonized for months and sleepless, I had a great wealth of knowledge that I never gave away. Mm. If I hear of a believer dying, it'll be sad because I miss their company. It may be a sad circumstance. But in my heart, there's joy. Because I know where they are. I know where they're going to be, and I know where I'm going to meet them again. have a friend. I never shared Jesus. They're gone. To this day, I'm still sad. I will die for them. My responsibility. My responsibility. I do, I have heard later that he did accept Christ there in Shreveport. He was able to restore his relationship with his family. And he was able to accept So I want to come to you guys as a rich young ruler, as a rich young man in the scripture. If he could speak from the grave today, what would he say? What would he say? Guys, I believe. I left because I thought good was good enough, but I didn't get the best. I never went to save for the best. I left before the teaching really got good. I left when it got hard. Don't you do that. Father, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your scripture. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the heavy message of the rich young ruler. Lord, I pray that he accepted you, and I pray that uh, one day we'll see him in heaven. And it'll be a great story of how he gave it all away and followed you. I don't know that, but I hope that's what happened. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here, dear Lord, at this time of invitation. If there be anything in their life that they are holding on to that's keeping them from the great promise, let them come get rid of it. Let them just simply lay it down. We may not understand. We may not know how or why. But we know that we don't need to have it. And we simply give it away. So we give it to you. Father, I pray that you would guide us and you would lead us and you would direct us. That you would continue to work in our life chipping away the rough experience, bringing out a masterpiece that years later people marvel at your work. Amen. We praise you, Jesus, for being a risen Savior. We acknowledge, dear God, that you were born of a virgin. You were holy. You died on the cross, and after three days you rose from the grave. There is an empty tomb right now because you are alive. Your body is pointed into heaven. And by way of Holy Spirit, you live in us. Lord, I pray that at that simple confession, if there's anyone here that has never said that, that has never acknowledged that, they would come down, Lord, and we would pray with them. We would grow in belief. In the name of Jesus.